0: Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this specialist series, Explore How to Plan an Expedition, a series created for the Royal Geographical Society. I'm Matt Pycroft, an expedition specialist, filmmaker, and photographer, and I've been going on expeditions under on various banners for 15 years. I also sit on the council of the RGS. In this episode, I speak with Lucy Shepherd, Emily Penn, and James Dyer about leadership. We talk about different leadership styles, what being a leader involves, and the responsibilities that come with it. We also discuss female leadership. Teamwork, the importance of showcasing vulnerability, and ultimately, if you have to be born a leader or if you can learn to become one. Finally, if you're looking for support with planning your own expedition or field research project, then head to rgs.org to begin the journey. Right, let's get started with episode 5 of How to Plan an Expedition. Please, could you begin by introducing yourself? Tell me who you are and what you do. My name
1: is Lucy Shepherd, and I am an explorer. I've been doing expeditions um, for over 12 years now. I was, it wasn't like I sort of grew up in expedition uh, family. You know, my parents weren't explorers or in the military. They weren't even, you know, didn't even know what the Royal Geographical Society was at that stage. Um, I was, well, I think I was probably first introduced to even the term expedition when I was about 15 And then um, when I was around about that same time, I got lucky and I saw an advert in the paper. That advert was from the Royal Geographical Society. And they used to do, then back then, they used to do really long expeditions uh, and it was a bit competitive. Only 10 people could get on this thing. And I applied, went through the interview process and um, training and learned how to fundraise and got in. And that was my first ever expedition, 10 weeks out in Svalbard. And uh, from then on, yeah, it's been expeditions. How can I make it happen? How can I make a living out of it? Because that's a whole other ball game, completely. Um, but I felt that a lot of the time, I feel like I've had to have to be, I guess, an entrepreneur. Most of the time to make it happen.
0: And James, now, can
2: you please introduce yourself? So my name's James Dyer. Uh, fundamentally, I'm an expedition leader. Um, that's sort of I used to call myself a professional expedition leader, but then I realized it doesn't take up most of my earnings. So uh, it's just an expedition leader. Uh, And I work with designing, planning, consulting, leading expeditions for uh, a whole variety of different people, Um, from researchers to TV and film to British Exploring Society. uh, Here, working with young people, leading expeditions. Um, And on the other side, I do lots of other little projects that involves some leadership as well. You know, I run a climbing wall project uh, in Plymouth. Um, I do TV and film safety as well. So, a fair bit of stuff.
0: Ace. And then, just to give us some context in broad terms, could you outline your expedition experience in a movie? Uh,
2: yeah, 25 odd years now of, of overseas expeditions. But um, so, since my early 20s, my own expeditions, building up to sort of alpine. Climbing and then looking further afield, so doing the apprenticeship, and then led my first expedition, commercial expedition in two thousand, and have led since then in all environments. um, To yeah, with all sorts of groups, five to eighty-five, a fairly broad experience. Some sort of four or five trips a year over the last twenty odd years. And finally, Emily, please can you introduce yourself?
3: Absolutely, Uh, I'm Emily Penn. I I suppose I I still call myself an ocean advocate. Um, I have spent 10 years really at sea exploring our amazing blue planet, sailing to really all all corners of it, particularly the most remote places, and really trying to understand the fundamental changes that are going on in our planet, uh, mostly around plastic pollution, also looking at climate change and fisheries. Um, and then ultimately working on what we can do to try and solve some of those issues.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it would be fair to say that you probably bridge that world between adventure and then the kind of advocacy field research science fairly well.
3: Exactly. Yes. Um, it's definitely adventurous. <laughs> I don't think you can get much more adventurous than crossing an ocean or, of course, scaling a mountain. Um But yeah, definitely it's always been with that aim of going out there to really find out more what's going on and therefore doing the science, but also taking with me people who don't normally go to sea so that they can see what's going on as well. And that's how we really create change back on land.
0: And Lucy, I'm actually going to ask you about um, your experience of leaders on expeditions outside of yourself. We don't need to name names, but I'm thinking, you know, Good ones, bad ones, mixed ones. What have leaders been like? What did you learn from them?
1: Well, I've I've seen a big mix of leaders. What is definitely obvious is we we say leader and we sort of, much like the term explorer, we think of this one type of person, probably with a loud voice, probably military background, probably quite scary and can get authority and get the room quiet. Um, And I have experienced that before and, you know, some very empathetic and some very nice, some just brute force. Um, But then I've also been lucky enough and fortunate enough to experience other different kinds of leaders. Um, I can't name names because um, now one of them I work with occasionally when I guide. Uh, So a a woman called Liv, who's Norwegian, um, was in the Norwegian army, and uh, her style of leadership completely different. And that sort of proved to me, you know, very, very kind um, and very quiet, softly spoken. That proved to me that, you know, there isn't one type of leader, which is encouraging because I'm not the sort of the, the first, first one that I described.
0: From a leadership perspective, you're taking people who aren't used to being in that environment, but they have a role and a job to do. How does that work? And as a leader, what's going through your brain at, you know, point one, step one?
3: It definitely feels like a big responsibility. Um, Being, you know, in charge of a vessel is hard enough (laughs) when you're out in challenging conditions and storms. But then when you have a group of 10 people on board who some of them have never been to sea before, and almost all of them have never sailed across an ocean before. So it's a really challenging environment. Um, I think, you know, it starts way before we even get close to going to sea, just in terms of setting the expectations um with people who want to sign up you know what r- the reality is of being on an expedition um and it's not like a holiday <laughs> um and that it, it's pretty hard work and, and we really expect everybody to pitch in for every aspect of the voyage you know the scientific work and um, the communication side and the mission but also just the running of the boat the cooking the cleaning uh, you know everyone does their bit and i think that's also a key to its success is that when everybody is on board, you know, everyone is pitching in an equal amount. I think for me, and I wouldn't have known this when I started out at all, but for me, a leader has actually been much more about taking people on a journey, um, you know, almost their own psychological journey of what they experience. And so when I'm running these voyages, when I'm planning them, I'm always thinking from the perspective of those crew members, you know, what are they going to see? What are they going to feel? How are they going to uh, take their thinking to the next level? Um, And how do they come out the other side of this? Um, You know, having had some kind of transformation, which is ultimately what it's all about, (laughs) so that they go on and do things differently when they get back home. Um and so for me, I think that's what leadership has become is about what are all the tools and all the experiences that you need along the way to get someone in their head to that place.
0: In the context of this conversation, what is the role of a leader on an expedition?
2: I think it's 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 two or threefold. There's there's two or three phases, I suppose, with it. I think there's an element that a leader has to set the tone um and set the vision and the sort of the mission and and st- and, and hold that. Uh, to a certain extent, but then also share everything with the team. You know, uh, in, so influence, behaviour standards, uh, um, motivation, and, and also passing that delegating. Well, not delegating as such, a sort of old old style term, but that sharing the expedition with the people that are on it. So they're involved and they're making decisions and they're leading. So it's always a bit like the the sports analogy of leadership all over the pitch idea. So, but the leader still needs to keep, maintain some level of, um, ownership of the whole and responsibility of the whole piece. And, um, someone's going to listen to this and go use the word peace in a in a statement. Um, but, you know, someone's got to keep an overview and someone's got to um, push, cajole, influence, I think is probably the best word, um, and influence attitudes, influence behavior uh, as well, and then share that experience with people. So you must flip to being, supporting the people that are on the expedition as opposed to, you know, follow me. Sometimes you do have to step in the front and go, put your feet in my feet. You know, my, my snow, holes or whatever
0: hey and what is the role of a leader on an expedition as you see it
1: i think the role of a leader is to inspire well to get the best out of everyone get everyone to unlock their best potential and identify what everyone's very good at in order to keep them going towards a common goal that common goal might be your individual goal or it might be the team's um so figuring that out at the start is is important and uh, I think I think your role, a big role as a leader is to be a counterbalance. So what I mean by that is you can be a bit like an emotional counterbalance. So let's say something terrible has happened. That day hasn't gone so well. The team's morale is bad. You haven't found bug that you've been looking for. I don't know. You haven't got as far kilometers as you needed to. Um, you, you as a leader have to be the opposite emotionally, st- emotionally status. So you have to, uh right, no, tomorrow's gonna be good. This is let's debrief, let's okay, why didn't this work, but it doesn't matter, it's not all about a bit of optimism. Goes the other way as well. So if if your team sort of you just you double the distance that you decided to do, everything's going well, you've climbed a massive mountain that you didn't expect to climb, everyone's happy. Um, but then role of a leader counterbalance is no, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We need to stay focused. We need to think. Uh, the sort of, we did very well, pat on the back, but let's, let's think of the job in hand because ultimately, you know, just like uh, when you climb mountains, Everest, everyone knows, get to the top. So often the most accidents happen when you get down. So I think counterbalance as a leader is very important.
0: So is a leader just a leader? Is the job to be in charge, to tell people where to go and what to do, to deal with their problems and issues, to to marry the team together? Or... Does a leader hold multiple roles and responsibilities?
3: Absolutely. Um, I think multiple, uh, you know, and, and first and foremost, it's just keeping people safe. You know, so there, there, there is a big element of that that has to come before anything else. Um, and so you need to be able to, um, what I like to call, you know, keep your head out the boat. You can't be too focused on what's going on inside the boat because you've got to keep that big picture You've got to constantly be thinking about the weather, about where you're going, about all of the external factors that are going on and making sure that um, yeah, if people aren't safe then you you know you can't really get started. So you know that that's fundamental. Um, and you need to sort of, I suppose make sure you have all of the right ingredients. Um, and that that starts well before you get to sea as well, making sure that you've got all the right people on board um, and all the right equipment. Um, and the amount of planning and preparation, as you know, that goes into these, these voyages, you know, I often kind of think that getting just to the starting line is the hardest bit.
0: And when we think about expeditions in the context of these conversations, you've got everything from a guided trip with lots of young people who have very limited experience through to kind of elite level practitioners, you know, four or five people top of their game who function as a case of unit. Do you think all expeditions need a leader? Can leadership be fluid? How does it work?
1: that is a good question. Um, I think leaders can change during the, the sort of process the days uh, depending what you're doing so um, but I think I do think on every expedition you, you can assign you should assign leaders, uh, but one day may vary for the next because one person might have a better skill set for the sort of whatever task is in hand one day, um, but you need to State that and make that clear that that's what's going to happen prior for, to leaving, um, yeah, so otherwise you it all need to be on the same page. I think that's very important.
0: do you think all expeditions need a leader of some kind?
3: um I think that probably they do, but perhaps um I mean, I want to say you could even have multiple leaders that have different roles I, I think that's the thing, but I think it's really important that you have people. Um, who are focusing on different aspects of the mission. And, and, and even within our voyages, um, we have the same thing. You know, I might be there, the, the person that sort of puts this whole project together and has the, the big picture of how it's going on and, and often skip skipping the boat as well. But there's so many other key team members. Um, you know, we have a, a head of science who's really making sure that every day all of our science objectives are met We have a head of communications who's making sure that every day, uh, the blogs, the photos, whatever communication needs to happen, it all all goes out on time. And so they're also leading um, in in their departments and their specialties. So I think that's possible as well. But I think it is important that you have someone who um, is making sure that the objectives of the expedition are being met. It might just be more than one.
0: And James, do you think that
2: all expeditions need a leader? In my heart and in my values, not necessarily, but I think in reality there has to be some, you know, I've done expeditions with friends where there's no identifiable leader in that group, but at some points people will lead and in, in various things and I think that, that, that there still is an element of leadership in, in it. But I, I think that sh- the, the, the perspective of shared leadership as well, and recognising skill sets.
0: Yeah, and I'm really interested to explore that idea of kind of transient leadership and shared leadership. Can we pass the crown? Because try not to use too many military analogies, but there's that special forces rule, which is, you know, in a, in a um, rapid decision-making environment, whoever's got the best idea is in charge. Is that true of expeditions
2: as well? Um, yeah, and I think as a leader, you have to be open to that. You have to listen to other people, not just about how they're feeling or... or the subtext around how they're feeling, but look at their looking at their behaviours, their approaches to things, and be be ready to allow them to to push on. And that could be as simple as just allowing, you know, you're on a simple path, it's fairly well way-marked, way and you, you know, you're walking into a base camp or something like that, you know, I lead from the back. Naturally, I want to be at the back. If there's going to be any problems, they're going to end up at the back. So if I need to step forward, I can step forward. But if people need to stretch their legs or... They're a bit faster than some of the other members. Let them do it if they want to go, and you know you've got more scope to allow that behaviour to, to happen. And I, I, yeah, I like the idea of shared leadership uh, and the concepts around shared leadership. It also makes the trip nicer. It does relieve a little bit of the um, uh, the mental agility, you know, because you're constantly on the go if you're a leader. So I think you feel you're on the go. It's not until you've finished writing your diary and the expedition diary. And you've had to think about what you're doing tomorrow and and your approach or mindset for the next day, then you can finally switch off, can't you? Until someone knocks on your tent and says, I'm not feeling too well.
0: Yeah, I'm interested in this concept of the leader being the united centre rather than just the autocratic decision maker. How much of leadership is about understanding the skill set within your team? So, for example you are not as well medically trained as the doctor who was on your expedition and knowing when to bring people in and when to bring them out and how do you manage that?
2: And I think that's, that comes down to relationships. And I think building those relationships from the, from the very beginning, understanding people, understanding their motivations at a deeper level and trying to understand their character helps you as a leader to then, go, what does this person need? And in some ways it's that the service leadership concept. So we're talking about shared leadership, but there's also the service Leadership that a leader sits underneath in some ways, but that comes from building good relationships, developing trust, you know, understanding people with emotional intelligence, you know, and then having another skill set. This is maybe maybe a little bit more, you know, practical uh, skill set in terms of setting a, you know, how you approach the day, how you brief people, what information you give them, what information do they need, what's their capacity. For, for the information you might be giving and what's their capacity physically and, and mentally in terms of mindset and and, and physical um, uh, issues from wherever they come from. But building those relationships, understanding people, crucial. Yeah, absolutely crucial. Probably the biggest part of it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and you, you talked about, you know, kind of sharing everything, being a part of a leadership. When it comes to honesty, how much do you have to be careful with how much is shared whether you're working with a really inexperienced group of young people or an elite set of mountaineers scientists medics etc do you want to give them everything or are you occasionally selective
2: with what you share with certain individuals i think that sits in your sort of leadership prerogative doesn't it to go actually they may need to know this now they may not need to know this at this point um, I do find that sharing your thought process with people is quite useful like, this is what I'm thinking not, not I've got a definitive this is sometimes you do but sometimes it's okay. case this is what I'm thinking where's the suggestions can anyone suggest and therefore you can release a bit more information or withhold a bit to see what you might get to help you make a decision because on top of relationships the second probably most important part of leadership is that decision making process so whether it's professional judgment situational awareness those sort of areas, but making decisions. So, yeah, so sometimes withholding information is important, and sometimes you have to, you know, you have to withhold some information. Um, and sometimes you can share more and get ideas and you know, get other people. And, they, and again, that helps people buy in to being part of that team. And when does
0: leadership start and end? You know, is it day one in the airport and day 20 in the airport?
1: Mm-hmm. I think leadership starts from the, the sort of seedling of the idea definitely. Um, I think one of the big qualities that you have to have as a leader is um, getting other people to visualize what you, the goal is and what it's going to look like. You, you have to have the same expectations. Otherwise, I mean, I've been on trips where you you think everyone's on the same page and then one person wants to go, go, go in a different way. Uh, and that just doesn't work. So you have to manage expectations. Um, you also have to be a very good persuader.
0: Leadership is an incredibly complex topic, but there are literally thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of books written on the subject, some good, some bad, some relevant to this conversation, some not. But when it comes to expeditions and field work specifically, what would you say are the defining characteristics of a good leader?
1: I think there's three, first of all, that for any leader that I think stand out to me that I try and bear in mind all the time. Um, and that's compassion, grit, and grace. Um, Compassion, because we need to be able to put ourselves in every team member's shoes. Um, When we're talking about expeditions, they're often multi-day, if not multi-week, months. Um, Everyone's going to have, or most people will have a bad day at some point um, and need a leader to, um, and the team, but to help them through and understand where they're coming from and understand problems and issues so that everyone stays together. Uh, Grit, I mean, grit can be taken as a number of things but how quickly can you get back up after being knocked down and great also emotionally as well you know a good leader i think has to has to be able to be mindful of their emotions mindful and have very good self awareness as well um, and then what was the last one grace grace i think is is often overlooked um, and that's one i try you know try to use quite a lot and grace will get you a long way. But then when we're talking about field work as well, I mean, obviously we all need to have a skill set so we can earn respect and have trust. Uh but then it's important to know, you know, as a leader on these expeditions, you don't have to be the best at all the different things. Because that's why you have a team. Otherwise you'd be on your own. Um so you have to uh yeah, a good leader can identify what different individuals are good at. Uh, and that also comes out what you said, um when does a leader start? Well, that comes about picking the team because a good leader can pick a good team um, for reasons of their skill set, but also how are they going to blend and how... So you have to be quite good at, I suppose, um, character, you know, judging characters and things like that.
0: And Emily, what do you think makes a great leader?
3: I think you do need to have um, sort of authority in your field. Um, So you need to have walked the walk. And... It's hard to sort of become a leader overnight. You know, I think you you need to have had that experience that others around you can sort of say, oh yeah, okay, they know what they're doing. You know, they've proved themselves, they've done it before. So I think that's a a really important piece of it. I think you also need to be a good people person. Um, You know, so be able to relate to those around you, what they're going through, uh, you know, try and put yourself in their shoes, think about the experience that they're having, um, you know, I think is is absolutely fundamental. Um, probably a really good multitasker and uh, just able to juggle a lot of balls, um, you know, and make sure that things aren't getting dropped.
0: So in your opinion, what makes
2: a good leader? Also, what makes a bad leader? I think a good leader for me is someone who's authentic and is based in their ethical values. A bad leader is that toxic, what we might consider a toxic leader that doesn't understand themselves particularly well, uses very simple theory, potentially in the wrong place, and is very much more focused on them as the leader as opposed to how do I get the best out of this team So I
0: have to ask the counter question, and I'm guessing you won't give specific examples, but what makes a bad expedition leader?
3: The first word I thought of was indecisiveness. I think when you have a leader who um, isn't sure what they want or what the plan is, it's quite hard for the rest of the team because um, when you're looking to that person to sort of, you know, give you um, often reassurance in a situation, especially if it's a scary situation, you need to sort of see that that leader feels like they know what they're doing (laughs) um, and can give you that kind of confidence. Um, So I think that is really important. And if you have a leader who's constantly flick-flacking between we're going to do this, we're going to do that, uh, it's very hard for the rest of the team um, to kind of keep that confidence level up.
0: You know, when we talk about delegation, and you're very welcome to disagree with this if you do, but I think part of what I've seen bad leaders do is not admit they don't know what to do. I've definitely been in a leadership role on expeditions where it is appropriate, the right thing to do is to turn to the person to my left and say, you are in charge now, particularly around something like health and safety when something goes wrong. And just say, you are the formal health and safety person on this expedition. This is a health and safety moment. You know, happy travels, tell me what to do. Um, I think it takes time to learn to do that. How much do good leaders need to be able to delegate?
3: Uh, I think it's essential. Um, and I've definitely learned that the hard way, <laughs> I, I think. Um, that I'm, I think, constantly on the lookout, you know, back when I was doing my expeditions. And now with the work that I'm doing on land, you know, constantly looking for those brilliant people um, to bring into the team that you just think, yes, I could Um, really delegate a good chunk of this project or a whole project you know to to different people Um, and I I think it's essential especially to be able to have impact and scale in any way.
0: How much do you think it's essential to have some form of rapport with the people you're traveling with already to have that maybe trust mutual respect understanding I think it obviously can be made in the field as it were but if possible, should we look to develop those relationships before we get out there?
3: I'd say yes, it would definitely be a better way around. Um, Although having said that, a lot of the voyages I've run, that hasn't really been an option um, because often people are coming from many different parts of the world. So our voyages often have 10 uh, different people on board who've come from 10 different countries And so there hasn't been an opportunity for us all to meet in person before we meet on the deck of the boat, you know, days before we are due to set sail. Uh, So while we have virtual meetups and lots of tools and ways that we use to get to know each other, you don't really get to know people until you get there. Um, And you, you know, release the, the bow line and you're heading out to sea and then inevitably everyone's seasick for the first few days and then you really get to know each other very quickly <laughs> and that helps me break the ice a bit
0: <laughs> yeah i think that you know it, this covers every one of these podcasts but i think that's one of the beautiful things about expeditions is they're kind of the great leveler you know there's nowhere to hide in a good way and those bonds are built fast
3: exactly And actually, however much work you do on land beforehand, you know, going to the pub and meeting up with the team or something, it it doesn't compare to getting yourselves all in that situation where you're just kind of hanging on and looking after each other um, and trying to get through the really tough hours until things start getting better.
0: How important do you think it is for leaders to be malleable to maybe whether they understand complex leadership theory or whether they don't? You know, I don't, but I do lead teams but that that ability to be one
2: thing one day and another thing another day based on what the situation, the environment and the team need. I think that's, that, I think it's important, but it's recognizing that you still maintain your leadership persona, you know, what sits well with you, how you want to be seen, how you want to perform. So go back to ethics, values, you know, behaviors, et cetera. Um, and I think that's the other problem with a lot of this is that people think it is, all about complicated theory. It's actually, I don't think it is having a having some theories to hang your hat on. I think is useful. Take what's necessary, discard what's not. Analogy, um, but I think that so you have you know, you have some understanding of the broader context and the broader philosophies that are, that exist. But making your own philosophy is probably more important. Having developing your own leadership philosophy is you know comes back to your, your core values and your core beliefs and how you want to to do it. But yeah, being able to know that you could change from situation to situation, which would fit under a theory of situational leadership. Um, but uh, it is important to understand, because again, some people are motivated by one thing, another person in your team is motivated by something else. If you, if you as the leader need, need them to come together and coalesce around a vision and a mission, then you may need to approach them, in a the simplistic terms, you need to approach them in very different ways. So knowing your team is important so much of what you're saying kind of sits under this keystone of like
0: empathy at the core of it is like understanding everything is about understanding not not absolutely everything but how are my team functioning what are their skills how are they feeling how are they reacting to what I'm telling them picking up that nuance adapting styles seeing you know disturbances or successes within teams it feels like empathy is you know one of the main things we're we're talking about here. And I think some people are naturally empathetic and some people aren't. But I think, you know, in my own experience, empathy kind of can be taught or learned in some senses by just slowing down, listening, thinking, you know, how is this affecting everybody else?
2: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, the best, well, for me, the one of the best descriptions of empathy I've ever seen is the ability to walk in someone else's shoes. So that then puts the onus on you to go, right, well, how? where's this person coming from? What's their lived experience What's my unconscious bias towards that as well, potentially? You know, in there. But what's what's their lived experience? Where, what, what are they saying to me that I can pick up that it goes to the core of that person, so that I can then go right? Okay, I may not agree with you, but I can empathise enough to understand where you're at. So the emotional intelligence sort of skills, and go right? Okay, well then I can I can work with that, and then I can I can influence and mould. And because you're always going to have yeah you know, potentially have bigger characters than you. I've worked with leaders that where I've been the leader, and they've been far more experienced than me, and vice versa. You know, and, and again, you know, high net worth clients on a mountain trip. You know, sometimes they've got they've got their leaders of their yeah you know, leaders of massive organisations, and you know they've got their own egos and and things, and and they yeah. So, but you still have to be, you're still employed to do the job. And therefore, you have to understand where they're coming from. And I, did a, I did a trip a few years ago with some very high net worth individuals and it was, it was great, but you have, to, yeah, you have to find where they're at. exactly, exactly the same. Just they're, they're bigger personalities and you have to manage that as a leader. You have to be strong enough and understand your own capabilities, etc. How do you
0: balance the kind of need for strong, decisive leadership with the kind of more collaborative nature of teamwork and team cohesion during an expedition?
3: I think each has its place and you just have to work out when each one is needed because um, there are times for sure when you do need the strong leadership there um it also to help team dynamics <laughs> because if you don't have strong leadership there um then often the team falls apart um so so there is a real need particularly in challenging moments I think for that um that people feel like they have confidence in a situation but also um Definitely on a boat, it's it's really helpful when everyone knows what they should be doing when. And I found that if you actually have um, quite a strict imposed structure over the whole thing, um, then everyone says, okay, I know that tonight I'm cooking dinner, tomorrow night I'm washing up, and um, I've got to be on deck, you know, from 2 till 6 a.m. And and that having that sort of level of leadership and structure uh, is essential for the team to then function. And then everyone feels like they're all pulling the same weight as the next person. And so it doesn't sort of rock the boat in, in that respect of the team dynamics where someone feels like they're doing a lot more than anyone else. Um, so there's certain elements where I think that leadership is essential for the team to function. Um, but then at other times, really letting um, others take the lead. And I think one of the things I love about sailing and why it's hard to ever replace it with, you know, other ways I've I've tried to do similar experiences um, where, you know, sort of development and leadership experiences. I think the thing about sailing is that everybody gets on the boat and they, you know, sort of are slightly intimidated by the 72-foot vessel, you know, that's about to go across an ocean. And the idea of them standing at the helm Riding this thing or driving this thing through waves is just seems like the most impossible task. And then there they are on day five, standing at the helm, one-handed, music blaring, singing along, you know, with everyone else around them. Having a great time as they surge through these waves and seeing the confidence build in people just through the physical aspect of sailing is, is so, so key. But I think if you don't let people take on that, you know, if you don't trust someone to stand at the helm of your 72-foot boat um, and and to give it a go, then they're never going to build that confidence.
0: Yeah, totally. And do you think that's true also of decision-making? You know, there's obviously a time and a place to say, okay, we've all talked enough now. Here's what we're doing. But can decision-making be kind of flat leadership, you know, zero hierarchy?
3: Um, again, it's probably a time and a place. There's definitely times when, um, I think you do need to just say, this is, this is the plan. This is what we're doing, but other times it doesn't matter. And actually we do a lot of celebrating the fact that everybody has something different to contribute. Um, and a lot of particularly the conversations and the work that's going on on board, um, is encouraged to go off in very different directions, um, depending on what people's, uh, Superpower, as I like to call it, is you know their what their skill, what they have to offer, um, and and that's different for everybody.
0: So let's talk about ego. How important is it to have one? And with that comes confidence, self-assuredness, etc. And when does it go wrong?
3: I think it only takes to look at you know lots of fantastic leaders to see that there are lots of traits of you know what you can call ego that comes hand in hand with being a strong leader because of the things that you just mentioned and I just mentioned around confidence and, and assurance. And, you know, inevitably you do need those things um, to be able to, to lead these missions, but also just to put yourself out there into really um, quite challenging environments and, and carry a fair amount of risk um, especially when it means, you know, taking other people. You have a lot on your shoulders. And so to do that just takes a certain character, um, which I think is quite closely linked to um, to ego. So um, a bit of it is probably just inevitable. Um, but of course, too much ego is can just, you know, ruin everything as well because there's no space for others. And I suppose... Maybe different expeditions have different objectives, but certainly for us in the more recent years, the ex-expedition voyages, one of the primary objectives has been about taking others on a journey for their experience so that they can build their own confidence and become leaders themselves when they get back to land and tackle the issue of plastic pollution. And if there's too much ego going on, there's not enough space for that confidence to develop and for those other leaders to develop on the boat. Um, so I suppose it comes down to, you know, what, what the, the mission is for the voyage, but certainly with what we aim to do, there's not really a lot of space for too much ego.
0: I think what's really interesting is, and I kind of learned this over the years from the good and bad leaders, is it's not about me is a really healthy mantra. actually your job is to empower is so that to make sure that persons one through 10 can do their jobs um you know problem solving team dynamics call it hr if you want you know is everybody operating at 10 and if they're at seven why how do i deal with that how do i solve that um it's a tough balance have you experienced difficult egos on trips and what can it do to a team dynamic
1: oh yeah of course. egos often come in the world of adventure don't they um and egos I think it isn't all bad that's important to know um I think without ego even when we're talking about leaders I think leaders can have ego if it's used correctly um because egos can be used when other people might have lost faith in the goal um and the sort of leader can be the one to really believe that this is going to happen or something like that but when it comes to overall team safety and things like that, there is no room for egos at all. Um, and I think, yeah, I think ego and confidence, it can, it can get quite blurry.
0: And we, we have a whole episode in this podcast around ethics and morals and how to travel well. But I am interested from a leadership perspective in how that changed the dynamic. And, you know, you and I have spoken before, so I recognize that I can speak like this with you. But the whole, how do you mitigate that colonial feel to a white person traveling into a country and a landscape and leading a team of local people.
1: Definitely. I mean, you've got to do your homework beforehand. Uh, You've got to know what you're going into and put, you know, it doesn't happen. I don't think you can just rock up and go over. You've got to put time, um, passion and commit to these places and spend time there beforehand. You don't just expect to turn up, pluck some people who live there off and then go off in the team. You know, you, I didn't do that, <laughs> and you can't do that. And that you have to sort of build these relationships. Human beings, who you know, who wants to come with you, who wants to be in your team. What can they do that you can't? You know, because they they just because they live there doesn't mean they're good at every single thing in the forest. It's far far from it. Um, and are you going to get on? Are they going to get on with the people, the other people? It's just it's exactly the same as anywhere. Um, but I suppose. Um, where the difference lies is especially for me as a woman um, it, it's gaining that trust and respect might take a bit longer um, and not I wouldn't say play into the vulnerability side because a little bit I would play into the vulnerability sides to give them space um, you know these guys are men they've come from communities that it's like quite different to us ultimately, and they may not all sort of be used to being led by, well, white person or let alone women, young women. And so having to sort of um, give, I suppose suppose my process, if I think back, was make people safely make their own mistakes and um, be able to sort of talk about that and how can you can then come in and sort of say, well, have you tried this? And that gradually you can, without going all guns blazing into the scenario of a team, you can um, get the team to go in one direction. And also I think it's so important, just as anything, is making allies with certain individuals. You know, who's who's the person that everyone's looked up to? Is is it the sort of elderly, wiser, wiser owl? Or is it the stronger guy who everyone sort of admires? Do you and him or her have a good um, relationship that then you can work together and... Sort of uh, get the other team to sort of follow um, and make decisions, and I think it's important for in any team and in those teams for everyone to feel uh, part of it, and everyone to feel that this is their expedition, um, and to feel uh, heard and listened to, and be able to express their worries. Because the big, the hardest thing, and I did get there, it, but it takes you know when other people when they're struggling. Again, you've talked about egos. You, you don't want egos in the team, especially, because egos mean that people might not express their problems to you. Uh, and you need, it takes a little bit more um, work to make sure that the local people who sort of want to put up this, you know, they want to put up this front of being really good at everything. And they're very, very tough people. <laughs> so they probably won't make a fuss, but you need them to make a fuss about the little things where if they're uh, not getting enough calories or their feet are rotting or whatever it might be. So having to have that relationship with that trust of um, knowing that they can show weakness is important. And I think I personally do that by showing weakness at the start. Um, so I said, you know, I'm, I show this vulnerability and sort of want them to sort of help me. That's part of the process, I suppose, so that they can come to me at a later date if they need me, and always checking in. Um, but there is also the other side where you have to show that you are capable as well. So you, yes, you show your vulnerability, but I also got to show my strength. So I got to show you know, that um, in the face of adversity, that you you are the one that they can count on. Um, so there is a, there's a balance, I think.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting kind of moral conversation around you know, you mentioned you probably struggled ever so slightly more with them to establish respect because you're a female and a young female. And you kind of have to just deal with that because you can't put your views on how the world should be on the community and culture that you're visiting. Whereas if you were part of a all-white, all-British team traveling to Greenland, I imagine you would not accept that sort of... um, well, what is essentially misogyny. So it's just, you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about it in that way because we do have to respect local customs and culture, even if sometimes we might disagree with them. I think it's quite important to make that point because we don't talk about that enough. Um, But do you think that there is an inherent misogyny to outdoor leadership? I mean, it's definitely been there historically. Does it still exist? Are women given an equal chance? And do you think female leaders are respected in the same way as male leaders in the expedition world?
1: So a lot of questions at that. Um, I'll start with it. Does it still exist? There's definitely, even when you think there isn't, there's definitely undertones of it. Um, different people act differently. Um, I think in some of the, out, you know, it's big industry, in some of the specialities, definitely, like, without a doubt, you can't even get away with it. Um, um, But it takes a while for the human psyche, for the general community to normalize it. And that's just through exposure, I think. And just through, um, you know, we get stereotyped. I think women, even in the outdoor industry, get stereotyped for being one thing or the other. Um, So trying to get through that is, I think, you know... My way of contributing to it is just to do it and do it authentically and genuine as possible.
0: Do you feel like you're subjected to kind of misogyny, whether it's passive or whether it's semi-aggressive, when you're leading teams?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've had it. It's not constant, but yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm lucky enough that especially on the ones that I guide that people actually come and sign up, and pay money to come with me. They know that they're coming with, you know, so that kind of filters out a certain type of person anyway. So for in that stage, no, I haven't haven't experienced it there. Sometimes you do find that women, more women, come and sign up because I'm a female leader, um, and I don't know if you can blame the woman for doing that. Um, but then, you know, some people say, "Oh, they shouldn't shouldn't matter if it's a, you know, but." Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting time because there's more and more female um, doing these expeditions and things like that.
0: Yeah, like I understand the viewpoint of it shouldn't matter, but the point is yeah. there is still an issue. Yeah. So it does still matter. Yeah,
1: and you're taking out, you know, if if someone's quite nervous about coming on there, for example, first expedition, you're making you're taking out a worry straight away because they may feel that the female might be able to um, associate and empathise more with whatever. You might worry as a female team member, um, but misogyny and I—I um, I will be honest. I have had misogyny on on some points where you know you ask someone to do them do something, and he, it will be a, it will be a man who will find it much. In the past, where I've had, a, I'm not going to name names, but you you you'll ask them to do something, and they'll say no, I'm okay, thanks. Yeah, it's, that's murky, murky stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's problematic, and I think the most important thing to take away from this in my opinion is it does still exist we should all be aware of it regardless of our role and gender on these trips is you know be a positive force for good in this conversation
1: i think it's also important to know that that might not you know in certain circumstances people just might not like authority and being told what to do so it might not you know that example i'm pretty sure it was as women but other times they could have very well have said that if it was a man asking him to do things. so Yeah, take it as you will.
0: Yeah, as a male leader, leading occasionally teams of all men, I've experienced profound issues with fragile male ego, um, or fragile ego, men who don't want to take instruction, usually because they're tired or bored or think they're better than that.
1: That's what I found, that in exactly the same circumstances, because they're clearly struggling and they don't want to show that they're struggling, so they don't want to take on anything further Yet, you know, and you might try and try and try to get through so that they can show their weaknesses, but they're just not that kind of character. Or you don't have enough time with them. Or whatever. Time is so important, time, time on these expeditions. The longer the expedition is, the more groundwork you can put in and it becomes easier. So these are short, sharp expeditions, even just getting to know human beings. like it's, it, You don't get that same uh, rawness, do you?
0: I think it's worth saying that I want you to know that I'm asking the men this question too, because I think historically I only asked it of women and I was criticized for that and they were right to criticize me. Um, Do you think there is a misogyny in the world of outdoor leadership? Have you experienced it? Are women given an equal chance? Are women respected in the same way as leaders?
3: I think I have experienced it, but I've also experienced the opposite. So I'm not saying that it's everywhere, but yes, it does exist. But there's also been some really inspirational male leaders in my life who've helped me get to where I am. So, you know, I'd say more upside than the bad experiences. But then having said that, I think, you know, I guess I'm not only a female leader, but I also have spent most of my expeditions running all-women voyages. So I've also heard a lot about their experiences and why they chose to join a, f- you know, women-led mission. And there have been some stories of not great experiences from that community. And, and is also why I, I really sort of see why there is a place for these all-women expeditions, um, which, you know, you could criticize. <laughs> you could absolutely say, uh, you know, that we we're not letting men join join in our fun. Um, but there is a reason why so many women migrate towards them. Um, but because they have had bad experiences um of being led by men and they just, you know, don't don't want to do that anymore.
0: Yeah, I think my opinion only, I think it would be difficult to argue that there isn't a place for it, given that, you know, you can see the books behind me, but everybody else can't. There are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of books detailing the male-only expeditions. And I think, you know, largely those were male-only by design that have gone on for centuries. Like, I think, you know, and I use this term deliberately, flippantly, it's okay for women to have a turn at doing that, you know. And I think you're right, like, there's huge power in it.
3: And I, th- I think, so I've done some mixed voyages and some all-women voyages, and the big difference that I've noticed is that there's often times when the team naturally falls into sort of gender stereotypical roles, and women will spend more time in the galley uh, and less time on deck. And then particularly when you get into a really sketchy situation, you know, and someone needs to climb up the rigging or... Um, you know, do something that's a little bit risky or takes a bit of courage. Naturally, the men step forward first on the whole, but then you find you're in the same situations with a group of women on board and there's no hesitation, and you've got someone at the mast, everyone pulling down sails, you know, waves going over your head. Um, and you know, everyone just sort of gets on with it, and and then. That changes the experience for them because they come out the other side then knowing that they could do the tough times, uh, which otherwise they might have not had an opportunity to do. It's very generalization, but it's definitely something I've observed.
0: But I wonder to what extent actually there is an inherent sexism around men stepping forward to be big, brave and strong. Or actually just on the male-led expeditions I've done, Generally, the men still do that. I still do that. And I I recognize that there might be an issue there that I need to deal with. But I think actually, the men like being big, brave, and strong and taking on the tough challenge. They want to climb. They want to climb the mast or the rigging. I don't think they're considering whether or not the other women do or the other men do. They want to be the hero. I think it's ingrained in, I'm not going to say men, I'm going to say male culture, which is something I'm trying to think about very differently. It's ingrained in male culture to try to be the hero. Um, and that can be really dangerous on expeditions in lots of different ways. Don't be a hero is like rule one.
3: Absolutely. And only, I think you see that much less in women.
0: Is that the case? You don't see hero games being played?
3: Not really, no. No, that is probably one of the... Uh, now you've said that... And I think back to various experiences, that could be one of the biggest differences.
0: Must be really nice.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It definitely is a very supportive, um, feel-good environment on an all-women's trip. Not that you don't get that on a mixed trip, but there's something about it that maybe um, also people are a bit more vulnerable with one another, let their guard down a bit more. And so those bonds that you mentioned earlier just do form even faster uh, than they would with a mixed group.
0: Are there any kind of unique toxicities or issues with all-female teams?
3: I think um, from the outside, so many people, um, you know, might write something on, you know, Facebook comment or something saying, oh, that's going to be a bitchy time or, um, you know, some some kind of comment like that that they expect. But in experience, it's, it's never really happened. I mean, of course, I'm not going to say there's, you know, you do occasionally get someone on board that just isn't there for the right reason. But they, it's not anything to do with, um, you know, gender. It's just that, that they're not there for the right reasons. But um, in terms of the fact that it's all girls and that any, and maybe it's because there's no boys around. <laughs> there's, you know, less reasons for any of that kind of friction. Um and everyone's just there in a kind of really safe space um, and supports one another. And, and I guess everybody has a different experience of it. Yeah. And you could talk to some of the women who've been on our up voyages and they might have a different perspective than, than I've had.
0: Yeah, I won't, I won't put names out there because it's not sort of not my place to tell the story, if you'd like. But I, I have interviewed one woman who's led all female expeditions who said she actually prefers mixed gender expeditions
3: right
0: yeah and she gave some reasons and they'll be going out in a different podcast another day but yeah i thought it was interesting and again as you're saying it's like we all have different opinions experiences wants needs requirements like that is okay and james do you think there's an inherent misogyny to the industry in general do you think that women are underrepresented and mistreated as leaders
2: um yeah Uh, generally i think so um so I'm quite heavily involved with inclusion in in the outdoors, both from sort of disability inclusion uh, in expeditions and and young people. Um, and I'll and I give a picture on this. I and, and I think it is it has changed in terms of gender over the last 25, 30 years that I've been involved. Definitely changed. We are seeing many more people of a diversity of people coming in um, to the industry and being supported. But I do think there is an undercurrent that's still remains that it's a it's a it's a misogynistic um white male dominated industry uh, if you can call it industry sector um and and that's that 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 extends right back to and, and you mentioned about the word expedition being a personal thing well if you go to you know Tanzania and say the word expedition they wouldn't understand what you meant by an expedition but I do I do think in this this country there is still that there and I do think that the industry is not as inclusive as people may perceive it to be, or even the people in it think it might be. I think there's still a lot of work. There's been loads of really good work, like really good work in terms of building inclusion and participation um, in the in exp- in outdoors and in expeditions. And we can't forget that, that work is happening, but the fact is it's still not moving fast enough.
0: Yeah, and thanks for being honest enough to say so. I think yeah, this is a subject that could cover an entire hour yeah. of an episode. All I'm really wanting to get at and say within the context of this podcast series is that it's almost to make people aware that it is there. It's something that needs solving. It's something that lots of us are thinking about. I have experienced it on practically every expedition I've ever been on that actually had a woman on, which is not all of them, by the way. Um, We need to be aware that that misogyny does exist. And even if we do not feel that we are part of that, we might accidentally be by the way but to combat it and to call it out and to you know at risk of doing a soapbox speech to be aware of the issues and be a positive force for
2: change yeah and i think also we have a uh, i feel you know as a middle-aged white man that i have a responsibility to uplift people around me particularly if i'm being seen in a leadership position um and being seen not just to create an inclusive environment and that, I think that's really important. That goes back to that stuff around building relationships, trust, honesty, ownership, you know, all those things we talked about before shared leadership, building an inclusive environment, not inclusive to any particular sector, but an inclusive environment generally where people are free to share, people talk, build. You know, build, continue to build relationships as a team, to function, to go through some of those processes, to argue, to fall apart, to get back together again and all the stuff that happens on an expedition. Um, and... You know, I think we are, we have a responsibility to uplift as many people around us as expedition leaders or planners or or, or deliverers of expeditions as, as well from whether it's range of backgrounds, uh, ability, or gender. Yeah, and part of this I think comes down to like equality of
0: opportunity, which feels like it should be a given, but it isn't. But then also equity, like recognizing that equity and equality are not the same. And equity, you know, we the the white man, you and I are both white men. Um, it is easier for us in this industry. That is just a cold hard fact. And so actually saying, well, we want to put a female leader in, you know, we want to put a Bengali leader in, et cetera, because we need to create visibility for these people because ultimately people are inspired by people who look like them more often
2: than not. And, you know, that's something I think we all could look to look to work on. Almost like an inclusion statement as well for expeditions. You know, we have to submit risk assessments for grants. We have to submit... Plans. We have to submit our our media. Actually, there should be maybe there's an inclusion statement. And some expeditions, and we have to recognise that inclusion isn't about always including. It's about the right inclusion at the right place, isn't it? To a certain extent, you know, could could we take somebody who who uses a wheelchair into the jungle environment? Absolutely, could take them in. What could they do there? Well, that's about their capacity and about their level of function. And that's a really nice segue into this whole thing around
0: understanding your team as a leader understanding your team their competences, their issues and knowing how to create a team that functions given the people in the room people on the trip how do you do that how do you understand
2: who's who what's what and issues pros cons uh it's getting as much information about the people as possible from them as honest as possible uh, knowing that people won't necessarily tell us everything in, in that stage. So whether that's about capability, medical issues, physical, you know, it's the old, uh, how well do you swim? Strong, medium or weak? And everyone always puts strong because, yeah, if we don't want to be not included in the expedition. <laughs> um, but, and we're all guilty of that, I'm sure. Uh, and, you know, getting that piece, that background work and then getting the team together and seeing the team together in an environment that's not at the front, like, you know, in the front line, you're not, you know, somewhere else, doing that pre-work with people because actually, invariably, if we don't do that, you can you, you can see when you get the team on the ground. If someone hasn't attended training or hasn't attended some social stuff as well, uh, and and they're, they're, they're invariably the one that either causes more trouble or drops out. You know, you mentioned it can be
0: hard to be a leader. There's that. I mean, that the, the phrase. It's not all that common, I guess. But like this, lone, the lonely burden. Um, is leadership inherently lonely? How do you deal with that if it is? What are the issues there? I found great power in having an amazing, like, second in command. Um, And I can think of a couple of people straight away, whether they're formally in that role or whether they're not, whether I'm just close to them. And they're the sort of person I can turn to at midnight when everyone else has gone to bed and say, I think I know what we're going to do next. I just want to talk it through with you. And they say, cool, let's do it. Let's go sit outside. And suddenly you've got a pal. You know, call it what you want. It's 2023. You know, is that somebody who's kind of like your, you know, chief mental health officer, you know, mental health support animal, whatever they might be, um, just a sounding board.
3: Um, when you're working on leadership challenges, you know, outside of actually being on an expedition, having that number two, when you're running an organization and you're a leader of a team, you know, on land, which I'm sure also a lot of people listening are, you know, even if they might not be expedition leaders, they might be leaders in their their job. Um, I think having, being able to have someone you can sense check your decisions with uh, is so valuable and just helps you almost kind of, I think, move faster. Uh, you do less mulling around in your own head, think flick-flacking between, should I do that or should I do that? Um, and you can just kind of make a decision and move on.
0: And how do you deal with the burden of leadership if that is a thing you know is it a lonely place is there that kind of officers and the ranks feel to it or not
2: I hope not i don't I don't think so I personally in my approach I don't think so um, but I, there is a there is a loneliness there is there is a bit where you have to go to your tent on your own uh, and and process stuff but if you've got Good people, you can sound off with. Whether it's a medic on a commercial trip, you might have a, a medic, and you're able to sort of sound off a little bit backwards and forwards. Um, if you're on your, if you are on your own, then it, you know, then you have to take that burden. I think, I think stepping stepping forward to leadership is that is that taking responsibility thing. So you have to take that responsibility for yourself in that position as well. And how do
0: you deal with that? Because you know, you've you've said that there is a loneliness to it when. Let's say something's gone wrong, whatever it might be. There is some grumbling going on amongst the group. It's not resolved yet. How do you manage that personally when there's no one to
2: kind of speak up to, as it were? So I always think it's important. I, I, I keep a notebook. I have sort of two books going on most expeditions. I have my personal reflective you know, book that no one wants to read afterwards and then i've got the expedition diary account sort of thing going alongside. um uh, so so i i do that i need to see things written down. um i'm not very good at writing but i will, i will i will try to make notes that like, you know even even if i never return to them i've i've got it out. um but i think it's recognizing that you, that you have to look after yourself because you can't perform for your team. so you have to do that mental juggling to enable you to perform um and be, be constantly aware and sometimes you can share and sometimes you can overshare. Um, and that could be used both ways as well. Because actually, there's a lot in saying, well, this, this is what I'm feeling at the moment. And just let you guys know that I'm feeling, I'm, I'm not feeling particularly well, or I'm feeling a bit low at the moment. Or um, this is, I know I've got this thing in the back of my mind. I just want to let you guys know that's where I'm at. So if I snap, I don't mean it. Just, you know, so yeah, being honest with people as well.
0: That's a really interesting point around you know how important is it and i'm going to i'm going to say it particularly amongst men i think in my experience anyway how important for you is it to for leaders to be vulnerable
2: oh yeah yeah like again a, a personal view is that yeah i think we have to be vulnerable to a point and that's regardless of gender like to a point because you people will be looking to you as well so there is that added responsibility that added Duty of care where you, you know, people will be looking to you. And if you fold, then it all folds to a certain extent. Uh, so we do have to be mentally resilient, um, you know, mentally strong, both with ourselves and working with others as well. So, but, but being vulnerable, I think, is, is absolutely crucial, yeah, you know, to a point. And Lucy, can it be
0: a burden, that burden of leadership? You know, you're at the top of the food chain in terms of people to turn to or not?
1: Oh yeah. Uh it's a huge responsibility. I think that's important to know is, you know, it's a huge responsibility to be a leader because uh on these expeditions you do whether it be um it's a lot of money riding on it, it might be, you know, for these expeditions, uh it's a lot of people counting on you, not just your team, but external factors. And so yeah, you should feel the huge responsibility. You should get too much not too much, but it should it should weigh on your shoulders. Um it definitely does on mine. You know, it, it can get relentless to know that you're the one all the time that has to has to everyone looking at and asking you questions. Yeah, you've got to take your time out and you've got to um, take a moment off every, um, every night. You know, I think uh, reflect, you know, how have you done? How are you going to do the next, time, next day? Um, I think that's really important.
0: How important is it, I mean, you've, you've hinted at it there, but let's go into it in more detail, to actually take a step back to enjoy being a part of this journey, to enjoy being a part of this landscape, this cultural exchange, whatever it might be, outside of trying to just lead and corral and deal with everything else?
1: it's every, It really is everything, because I think also letting your team know that that's part of it as well, so that they can do the same, um, so that everyone can, uh, when I lead, um, I really make sure that everyone on the team does take a step back, and look, look how privileged we are to be here. You know, we've... Yes, we've made this happen, but how lucky are we? You're often in these places where so few people get to go to, and you're doing this in incredibly field work or whatever it might be. Um, how exciting is that? You know, this like you said, you just touched on that. You know, we do it because we want to do it, um, and we ha- get to have this adventure.
0: So, this is, I guess, this is a potentially big kind of worms to open. But do you think leaders are born or made, or a combination of the two? Is there an inherent personality to leadership?
2: I I don't think so I don't think there is I think there's people that like the idea of being a leader um whether they've got it whatever it is and that changes generationally and historically but I think that I, I, I don't think there's a leadership gene in in my limited experience of 20 odd years I you know in a range of different leadership type roles um I don't think there's a you know that born to be a leader thing I think some people, show attributes at a young age. On the flip side, can a leader be made? Yes, but you can't form a leader. There's no, it's not a cookie cutter type approach to it. I think you have to allow people to learn, learn and be exposed to it and to understand theories. And it's at different times you need to take different things so you can go back to some of this stuff. But I think there's having an understanding underpinning of some theory and seeing how you could apply that and learn it. It gives you, you know, something to hang your hat on, but also to try and see whether it works for you, whether it fits nicely. So I do think there's much more in leadership around your values, behaviours, actions, attitudes, you know, your 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 human traits, um, I think better than sort of soft skills, I suppose. Uh, I'm very fascinated at the moment with the concept of polymathic leadership, which is sort of this idea that you... You're a you know, jack of all trades, master of none, but sometimes better than a master of one sort of approach. Where actually being a you know, an expedition leader is a is a polymathic leader, and you use and everyone's different. So I think quite fascinated by that at the moment. That concept that actually we can be you know, we can use multiple layers of leadership in different ways with different people with different tasks.
0: For those who are listening, who are interested in the idea of leadership, or who are going to be leading an expedition team, how can people learn to be better
2: leaders? Um, I've become a massive podcast fan in the last since lockdown, and I've listened to all sorts of stuff and, and draw off of other people, draw little you know nuggets of someone. Reading has been a thing I've done for years, and I've, I've always read books and always tried to apply theory or throw it out. So yeah, I think reading, practicing, getting it wrong, um, mentors, mentors I think are really, really key people in all our all our careers. So identify those mentors. Um, and uh, and and work that work that apprenticeship. There are some practical things. You know, we might need to go and get a qualification in something. You know, expedition leadership. Generally, people like to have the mountain leader ticket as a demonstration of competence at a particular time. Um, so people do have to do that as well. But find the links. Don't just be a mountain leader one day and a you know a, a base camp leader, logistics leader the next day. You bring them together. What what can they both give each other? So that integration, which goes back to the polymathic thing. But yeah, it's it, how do you make the integrations? Because all that experience comes together, doesn't it? It's not just your experiences. It's how you link that experience. I think it's also worth pointing out that
0: it's okay not to be a leader and to not want to be. Lots of people do not want to be the leader, but they do want to go on expeditions. And I think, you know, given the percentage possibility that there's lots of people listening to that to this who don't want to be a leader. What advice could you give to somebody when it comes to like working to a leader? What makes a good crew member?
3: I mean, I think, of course, um, try to sort of make sure you're on the same page as, as your leader. So not saying don't give feedback, but, you know, also just respect the fact that the leader is the one that is also in that position of responsibility. And... I think there does need to be a certain level of respect for that, that um, it can be really uncomfortable being the leader. Um, And when things are really tough and really challenging, you know, you you just have a lot on your shoulders. And, And I think, you know, for crew members to appreciate that, especially if they're the ones that say, I really wouldn't want that level of responsibility, you know, to be able to just... Um, acknowledge it um, and and realize that it's a really tough position to be in um, a lot of the time as a leader. I I think that's kind of key. And, uh, you know, as much as possible, I think just having a really sort of good attitude towards it. If you sort of show up and say, um, I wonder if you can help me because I want to do this and I want to have this experience and I want to do this thing. It's quite off-putting for a leader, and I certainly still get a lot of that today, you know, even if it's just daily landing in the inbox, people looking for for my time and energy to help them. Whereas if you flip that around, and if you have someone come to you that says, hey, I can help you with this thing, Um, because I can be a really great crew member, or I can take photos and videos of your voyage, or I can write blogs for you, or whatever your superpower is, offer it to the leader, um, then you're going to just going to be a much, much more valuable crew member.
0: How? I'm, I'm guessing you've made some mistakes over the years um, when it comes to leadership, probably some duff calls, maybe upset some people. How did you learn from those mistakes and how do you deal with them in the moment?
3: I think probably, you know, when you're, particularly if there is someone else who's in charge of something, making sure that you're not in any way kind of second-guessing them. That's probably one of the main mistakes as a leader uh, that we can make. I think that it usually comes down to when you've got someone else um, who really needs to be making a decision or is in charge of something and you start second-guessing their decisions. Um, And that can really create friction Um, and and leave other members of the team just feeling a little bit powerless. Um, And... You know, I think that's one of the kind of main pitfalls of being a leader. Um, in terms of how you deal with that in the moment, I think it's just having to realize it and admit it <laughs> um, as, as soon as you can, you know, and be able to try and bring the team back together. Um, and, yeah, and I think, you know, for us having regular team meetings is, is really key when something is amiss um and trying to kind of get everybody back on the same page yeah and and not i've definitely been in that position before where i've just had to admit that i've made the wrong call um and i think people then respect you a lot more if you can say okay that that was not the right thing we're going to now rectify it um and and lay out a plan um is 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 probably key
0: yeah no, it's a, it's a hugely complex topic, all this, and it's, it's unsurprising that there are thousands of books written on leadership. I'd imagine that lots of people listening to this you know, either haven't been leaders in the field or maybe are early stages of their careers in that sense are interested in doing so. How can you learn to be an effective leader? Is it all experience? Can you do some reading?
1: Um, good question. So if it's something that you're passionate about, it will be much easier to be a leader. Um, I would very much struggle to be a leader on something that I didn't care about. Uh, so I think the best leaders are leaders because they care about something. Um, but spending time with different types of people, doing different expeditions, you'll naturally know what works for you. You'll naturally because not all leaders are the same. You want to see okay, why, why does that? Why do you like that person as a authoritative figure? Why do you do what they say even though you don't want to do it? So yeah, I think a lot of observation and experience and finding something that you really really want to do and making it yours you know you have to to take ownership of whatever project you're doing um and don't hesitate with that uh, and be very confident that this is is, that's what you're going to do but knowing it can be alienating at times and going into it and knowing that you you might not be liked all the time i think that's really important to know um and being ready for that uh so um but i think you know overall leadership is evolving um just as the outdoor industry is, just as the fieldwork uh, industry is. So um, remember that. And I think that the best thing you can do is just just don't try to be some, someone else, a sort of version of yourself that you're not. Like just be your true leader and other people will hopefully follow and be inspired and empowered to follow through.
0: What advice would you give to emerging leaders who are going out on expedition Maybe they've not done it before. Maybe they've been given the role as part of their leading a self-funded three-person team to go and do a piece of field research somewhere. What advice would you give those people?
3: I think a lot of it comes down to attitude. There's there's two ways you can experience any situation in life, either in a positive way or a negative way. And you you definitely see that in teams where um, the same experience will just be experienced in a completely different way, depending on your outlook. And so, you know, I would say just remember the reasons why you wanted to do this in the first place (laughs) and um, make sure you get the most out of it. It takes a huge amount of effort to put these um, expeditions together and funding and planning and all the work that you put into it. So when you get there, you might as well make the absolute best of it. Um, and, And it all just comes down to sort of choosing your attitude. Um, in those moments. And it's amazing how that rubs off on everybody around you. Uh, that if you can have a positive reaction to often a terrible situation when something's gone so wrong um, or, you know, you're you're just having a really miserable time because of the weather or whatever it might be. Um, if you can see the light in it, others will too. And that immediately lifts the mood and then that lifts your mood and it's this sort of spiral um, and the same thing can happen in the other direction. It only takes a little bit of negativity uh, to start taking things down the wrong way.
0: Totally, I think you're completely right, and it's such an important point. It's like your or one's leadership style will almost like directly influence the culture in in a in a bigger way than anything else. You know, if you create and foster a culture of vulnerability by being willing to be vulnerable. Guess what? Your team will be willing to do not exclusive, but they will. You know, it's yeah, no, great point. And then why is it that you're so inspired by the idea of being a leader? What is it that motivates you?
1: I think um, you know, by being a leader is often, it's not always, but it's often whatever you're doing, especially if it's something that seems very, very hard, it's your idea. So it's exciting and that makes sense for you to be the leader because you're the one with the vision. Um, so for me, I find it exciting that you can get people on board. And it, I love the process, whatever it might be, um, getting a team of people with different personalities, but they're really good at everything and just making something magical. It really makes, I love that whole thing. Building a team around you to achieve something that was in your head, is just, there's nothing better.
0: What has being a leader given you and taught you that you sort of hold on to most dearly?
3: It's hard to choose. But one thing that comes to mind is is the community, which might be an odd answer. But um, I often feel like just the really lucky person in the middle, particularly of this amazing group of people around the world who joined me on these voyages over the years, who are now back home carrying on that legacy creating impact, creating change. And it does feel like a really privileged position to sort of know them all um, and to have been a part of their journey. And, you know, when I see them say, uh, you know, how much a voyage was sort of pivotal in their career or their personal journey, you know, it does, that does feel amazing. And that carries on giving, Um, even though I'm not taking people out right now. I, still get those little warm fuzzy moments that come and find me every now and then um so that that element of it is really special
0: thanks for listening for more information on how to get started with planning your own expedition or field research project head to rgs.org this podcast is hosted by matt pycroft produced and edited by laura jaycock for terry Gognita publishing and shane windsor and laura melville for the Royal geographical society